Good morning, family. When we come to our story on today, we see an amazing event taking place in the life of Jesus the Christ. Jesus, in this text, has just responded to the call of God the Father to leave his home in Nazareth and to begin his journey in ministry. The Bible says that as people were coming out to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible says also that Jesus came and he too was baptized. And while he prayed, the text says that the heaven was open. Now in this particular portion of text that we're going to look at today, you and I get to see a picture of what I call is Christ's confirmation ceremony. It's the picture of his calling to ministry and service to the Father. See, in Christ coming to be baptized by John, his ceremony, beloved, consisted of several things. Number one, he came to be baptized by John to fulfill the plan of God for mankind. You see, Jesus' baptism is not like you and I's baptism. He didn't have to be baptized for the redemption of sin. His was a picture of what he was going to accomplish for mankind. In his baptism, he was symbolizing him coming to die, be buried, and risen back to life in order to redeem you and I. And what we see in the life of Christ in his act of baptism is a savior, a man who was totally surrendered to God. Baptism means that in our lives as well. The Bible said that as he was baptized, that the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in a bodily form, the form of a dove, and landed upon Christ. And after he landed upon Christ, the Bible says, a voice from heaven Proclaim these words, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Never happened before and never happened again. There's only one son of the living God. And in that day, the triune heaven, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were recognized at this ceremonial event with, Je with Jesus the Christ. I like this text because an old preacher once proclaimed that he says this. Here's what happened, Wilson. He said, as soon as Jesus went down in the water, the heavens broke apart. And if you go back and read Mark's gospel in the first chapter, the word that's used there is a Greek word. It's called schizo. And literally it means to tear apart the heavens. Let me put it to you this way. When God the Father saw his only begotten getting baptized, the whole canopy of glory stood back. And he proclaimed right there at the baptism, this one right here, he's my beloved son. What a picture. And I just believe in my own mind, I just believe in my own mind that right here, all of heaven was in attendance, the angels of God and the demon world that was on earth watching also. Everybody in the supernatural realm saw this day when his ministry was inaugurated. Then the text goes on to say it was after that, that the spirit of God drove him in the wilderness 
where he went on a fast for 40 days, and then he faced the devil. I wanted to take my time and paint that background for you today of why the temptation of Jesus is where it is in the archives of Scripture. Notice it happens right after he gets his call to ministry. Right after God inaugurates him and sets him apart for a great work in the earth, that trouble, trial, temptation comes to him. Why did I say that? Well, I told you that because as soon as you make up in your mind, you're going to follow God. As soon as you make up in your mind, you're going to commit your way to Christ and obey him in every area of your life. Guess what? The tempter will come. He will come to you just like he came to Jesus and just like he will come to me. Well, there are three things in this passage that I think we can learn from today, and I pray that it bless you as much as it blessed me. First thing I want to talk about is if you're going to get victory over the devil in this world, first of all, you have to learn how to deny your flesh. The second thing you have to learn to do is to deny your focus. And the third thing you have to learn is how to deny your foe, F-O-E. And I will unpack these as we go. Verse number four. You'll pull that up for me, brothers. Thank you so much. Verse number four, the Bible says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan, here it is, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted there for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, those days of fasting, he was hungry. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Verse 4, but Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Amen. The first thing we see, RCC, when we come to this portion of the text is that Jesus had just had a great worship experience. It was a wonderful time to be in, in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was then led by the Spirit into the trial of his life. It's a great reminder, again, that you and I, every time we have a divine encounter with God, we can expect to be tempted to try to discredit what it was God just did or just said to you and I. Has that ever happened to you when you left church? God spoke to you, but as soon as you got to the parking lot, something tries to take your attention off of what you just heard. The text says, again, for those of us who are reading, he was led by the Spirit. It implies that the Spirit of God drove him into a place in this fasting and prayer of preparation. I don't believe the Spirit of God led him into temptation because Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. No, I believe what happened is the Spirit of God drove him into a place of intimacy, knowing that after that place of intimacy, temptation was going to come. Here it is. Let me come this way. I think you'll see me here. God never leads you to be tempted. He doesn't do that. 
He will test you, but he never tempts you. The devil tempts you. God tests you. I need an amen right through there. When I look at this text, there's some more things that happen, and I think I would like to share these with you. In the life of the believer, you and I need to know that on this journey as a church plant, a church start, a group of people that have decided to set themselves for apart from God, you're going to be tried. You're going to be tempted. And God will even provide you some tests. Know the difference, though. Know who the tempter is and who the tester is. If God tests you, he's only testing you to see what's inside of you so that he may produce in you the fruits he's desired to place in you when he called you to become the ekklesia, the called out ones of God. But the enemy will come to tempt you to forget what it was God has said and why God has called you together to be a people set apart in his name. Can I get a witness right there? I find it interesting in this passage, and I'm off my notes now, that when the devil speaks to him, notice he starts with what the old preacher used to call the satanic ifs. God the Father at the baptism said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The first thing the devil does is says, if you are who the father upstairs says you are, then do this. Did you catch it? See, the first thing he always does when he tempts you is misquote the word or tries to get you to act according to your flesh. Well, what is your flesh? Your fallen nature to fulfill the needs, the desires that you may have as a human. Why is that important? Jesus had fasted 40 days, 40 nights. And guess what? At the end of those 40 days, he was hungry, just like you and I or get hungry. So his flesh wanted to eat. This is in and of itself is not wrong. It's not a sin. But what he wanted to get Jesus to do was to eat at his command. Take his power that God had given him and use them for his own fleshly desires. I need an amen right through there. What's happening here? What's happening in the text? Satan always wants to get you and I to use our power, our giftings, our abilities to fulfill our own fleshly desires. And if we will take our cues from him, we will get out of the will of God. Jesus wisely understand this. And it reminds me of a story I think I'll share with you. Did you know that the, one of the largest freshwater turtles in the world, especially in North America, is called the alligator snapping turtle? This turtle is amazing because it lives at the bottom in the southeastern United States among the rivers and lakes and ponds. And it's said to sometimes go to up to about 250 pounds. Now, this carnivorous creature is mainly known to have his diet eating fish. But what makes it so uh, uh, hard or strong and vicious is that sometimes it can even eat small alligators. Now what it does is it has this long tongue that has an appendage on it. 
And at the end of its, its tongue, it has this little red thing, and it lays on the bottom of the lake or the ocean bed, and its tongue will wag like that. So that if a fish coming by sees it, it will grab onto its tongue and it will snap, capturing its prey. This turtle is a lot like the wicked one. He always dangles in front of you what's good to your flesh. Can I get an amen right through there? Listen, Satan, RCC, is never going to give you what does not appeal to you. He's only going to offer to you what feels good to you. That's why it's called temptation, because it feels so good. When I look at this text, the Bible goes on to say that Jesus, upon hearing this tempter, responds with the word. He says to the devil, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. Verse 4, it's there in your text. And I like this right here because by quoting scripture, Jesus was able to defeat the tempter and gain power over the situation that he was facing. Okay, beloved, let me say it this way for the people in the back. Listen, it's the word of God that helps you to conquer the evil one. It's the word of God that helps you get victory over the tempter. If you want to get victory over that area in your life, beloved, you've got to use the word. See, only the word, yes, could remind Jesus that he was not to use his supernatural power to make stones in the bread. That's why he quotes the passage from Deuteronomy. Only the word could remind Jesus that life was more than fulfilling his fleshly desires or needs. And that's why he chose, beloved, to use the word. Listen, psychology is great. The sciences are great. Sociology is great. English and all the literature is great. But none of them will help you get victory over the devil, beloved. Only the word of God because it's supernatural. You can't be a believer and not be in the word. Why? Because you'll never get victory over those areas in your life that cause you trouble, trial, and tribulation. I think I lost my church this morning. Can I get an amen? Okay, y'all with me. All right. We've looked at how to get victory over the devil by denying your flesh. Let's look now at how to get the victory by denying your focus. The Bible says in verse 5 that then the devil taking him up to a high mountain showed him all, somebody say all, the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority. I'll give to you and their glory. He's talking about earthly kingdoms. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, Jesus, if you will worship before me, all of this is going to be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it's written, 
You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. RCC, look at this with me, beloved. When we come to this portion of the text, we get to a good look at Satan's second attempt to come get Jesus. Notice this was the second time. He didn't quit after the first one. He came back again. And in this effort, Satan wants to get Jesus to focus, there it is, on the kingdoms of this world and to worship him. You say, what do you mean, pastor? Well, he didn't want Jesus to stop worshiping the father because he had just finished his 40 days in fasting. He had just finished the ceremony of baptism down at the Jordan River. What he wanted, Satan did, was to include a little devil worship along with worshiping the father. Listen, the Bible says in verse 7, if you're going to worship, or if you will, Jesus, worship before me, all of this stuff, it'll be yours. Here it is. Satan tries to appeal to Jesus' eyes, his focus on what he was to do in the earth. He wanted him to look at earthly comforts, riches and things. Right after he'd been baptized, right after he had been fasting, he wasn't asking Jesus to take back what he experienced. He was just asking him to include him in his spiritual formation. He offered him something in exchange for a little worship. Listen, beloved, Satan in this verse is literally offering Jesus help to build his earthly ministry. He says, you want your God's son? You want the kingdoms of the world? I'll give them to you. Just worship me. Okay, here's what he wants. An old preacher friend told me this. He said, he wanted Jesus to have back creation without Calvary. God had already purposed that the way to redeem mankind back to him was for him to become the sacrificial lamb. Satan wanted to bypass that. Worship me. Don't do what daddy says, and I'll give you all this. I like this text because Jesus teaches me how to get victory over the evil one when he messes with my focus. Jesus says, it's written. Oh, never mind. I, let me back up. I forgot the most important. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Get out of my focus. Get behind me. Because it is written, or here it is, the Bible says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus, in this verse, Sister Wilson, love of my life, would not give in to tempting desires of what he saw and how easy it was, love, to have it all. The master would not trade his cross for a temporary earthly kingdom. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but I felt something right through there. The master would not worship Satan, yes, no matter what the prize may be. And you, RCC, you and I can learn from Jesus in this verse. We can learn that nothing that the evil ones offer us is worth worshiping him. 
No promotion. No company. No six more zeros behind your name. It's not worth it. Nothing that he dangles in our eyes is worth turning away from God. Oh, beloved, hear me please today. If you never hear me again, let me thunder from this pulpit today. Be careful warning everything you see. Be careful changing what the culture offers you next. Be careful desiring the things of this world that Satan comes to offer. In the form of worship. I'm off my notes here. I may get in trouble for this, so don't talk to the elders. Email me, okay? You know what I noticed on Sunday morning? The football game is where we choose to go and worship. We will leave church to go praise at the end zone for guys who don't even know you. They ain't died for you. We say we own the team, but you don't get a check. We'll pay our money, we'll give our offering, we'll get inebriated, take a little communion, whatever you want to call it, and we will worship with thousands of people at the altar of sports. And Jesus has set this time, this time aside for us to worship him. I just made some of you mad, but get mad right there. I told you last Sunday you ought to leave here sometime mad. I learned in this passage something very true. Hold on to your seats. Satan did not lie about his possessions. He did have it all. See, he knew he could not lie to Jesus about what he was trying to tempt him with. The truth is that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Adam gave over his dominion to the evil one. And so the kingdoms and all of the creation of this earth was under his domain. He offers it back to Jesus for a time of worship. He didn't lie. It was his. Thirdly, what I see in that second passage, he defeats Satan, Jesus does. Guess how? By using the word. Get behind me, Satan, he said. It is written, or the Bible says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now like this right here again, because by quoting the scripture, he was able to defeat the tempter and gain power over the situation and the thing that Satan was offered to him. Listen, there's power, beloved, in the spoken word. There's power in the written word and only the word could remind Jesus that he was not to bow down and worship the tempter. Only the word could remind him that life was more than building earthly kingdoms. Life was more. Only the word could remind him of his purpose and his capability of facing temptation. I found this story, brothers. I thought I'd share it with you. There was this guy who was shopping in the mall with his bride. And they came to a little kiosk and went to buy her some jewelry. And all of a sudden, this pretty young girl walks by. And he loses his focus for a moment. And he follows her with his eyes. And his wife says to him, I hope it's worth the trouble you in. 
Did you catch it? What happened? In just a moment's time, if you're not careful, temptation can take your eyes off of your covenant commitment to God and put it on someone or something else to satisfy your flesh. We've looked at how to defeat the devil by changing your focus. Let's look now at how to defeat him by knowing your foe. Look at the text, or denying your foe. The Bible says in verse 9, and I'm coming down. I know this is a hard message today. Verse 9, the Bible says that then he brought Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, here it is again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, now Satan's quoting the Bible. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, Jesus, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it's been said, you shall not tempt Satan, the Lord, your God. Let me unpack this and then I'll be through. Beloved, when we come to this last portion of the text, we get to see Satan tempt Jesus a third time. And in this attempt, he takes him to the top of the temple, the religious center of the day. And he tempts Jesus by misquoting Psalm 91. And by using the pride of life to try to get him to fall. See, by taking scripture out of context, Satan wanted to use pride to get Jesus off track. Satan wanted Jesus to rise to what I call his ministry stardom. Here it is. Do something theatrical. And do it quick. You're the miracle, son. Do a miracle and all of these people will follow you. Jump off the temple. Your angels will catch you. They'll stop you from dying. See, if if Satan could get Jesus to do the spectacular, he would instantly gain Instagram fame. TV shows, publicity, popularity, earthly stardom. Satan wanted Jesus to bypass Calvary and do the spectacular. He wanted the master to win the world by entertainment and to show that he was the Messiah another way instead of sacrificially dying for mankind. Let me cut across the field. I think I lost you. I can see it in your eyes today. The same temptations he uses on Jesus, he'll use on you too. Same temptations, beloved. He often tempts us with pride and desires us to seek prominence, seek power, seek publicity, seek privilege, seek position in the world. He, he often tempts us to do the spectacular as long as we avoid the road to Calvary. 
Listen, the road of ministry, beloved, is the road to suffering. There's no other way around it. From the suburbs to the ghetto. If you're called to live for Christ, your calling involves suffering. It's a picture of carrying a cross. And I don't mean a cute little one I wear around my neck. No, this call to follow Christ is a call to die to yourself. It's a call to abandon the things of this world and to carry the cross that our Savior was afflicted upon. But he wants to tempt you and I to be great, look great, perform great, have everybody see you, talk about you, have you to perform for the world and demonstrate for the world that you've got power and connection with angels. That's why he quotes Psalm 91. If you jump off, it's written, right, that they'll catch you unless you dash your foot against a stone. Notice this. I noticed that the devil knows scripture. But he will never quote it in context. He takes it out of context. And he uses a manipulation strategy to try to get Jesus off. Mm. But I like this. Jesus answers his misquote of scripture with the proper quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16. And he says, Satan, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I like that right there. Scripture interprets scripture. Jesus knows how to handle the word. He was a man of the word. He knew the word. And so when temptation would come upon him, guess what? He used the word. That's so important. I got to leave you now. But beloved, if you don't hear anything else I said, when the temptations of life come your way, it's not your degree that's going to help you get them or defeat them. It's the word. It's not your life's experience that's going to help you defeat it. It's the word. Don't put your hope on your singing abilities, your technological skills, whatever other gifts you may have. Use the word. It's called the sword of the spirit in the New Testament. It's the thing that will help you to get victory over the one who wants to destroy you. That's what I believe this chapter is teaching us about Jesus and his life and what he came to do. The fact that he was able to go through these trials and tribulations and tests means that you and I will be able to go through and get victory the same way. What a text. I'm so glad he didn't turn stone into bread, but he stayed hungry. I'm so glad he didn't bow the knee to worship Satan even a little bit. I'm so glad he chose not to do the spectacular, but to do ministry the hard way. Because now I got a blueprint. There may be some days I'm hungry, but it's okay. There may be some days, yeah, where worship gets hard. But I can't bow the knee to Satan. There may be some days where I'm tempted to do the spectacular, to see my name up in lights. But I'm not to do that. Jesus models for me and for you 
how we ought to follow him in every area of his life. And guess what, beloved? Because he denied his flesh, because he denied his focus, because he denied his foe, he carried that cross up that hill called Calvary. And out on Calvary, he fulfilled the plan of the Father for his life and for you and I, that we might be reconciled back into a right relationship with the Father. Jesus not only gained victory over Satan that day in the wilderness, but on the cross. He got victory over him. The Bible says he and he alone was prophesied in Genesis 3 that he was going to squash the head of the one, the serpent. It was prophesied in Genesis 3. And on the cross, we see him crucified, killing the one who came to destroy all of us. He died, was buried in early Sunday morning. Thank God for his faithfulness. God the Father raised him back to life. And because of Jesus' work at the cross, you and I can experience that same life. Praise God today that there is victory over the devil and is found in his word. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, thank you for a hard message. And thank you for messages like this that equip us to know how to live in a fallen world. Thank you so much that you have not left us without a witness, but you have continued to lead us and guide us. And I thank you for everyone here today. Now, as we come to this table, we remember all that you've done for us. We climb higher now in your presence in our next act of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.